Thanks, guys. Good job. Thanks, BB girls. Also, good job. Great to be here. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm glad Jesus died for us. Otherwise, we'd be lost. By the way, we had a great morning. Uh, we had at least 15 first time visitors here this morning. And uh, a lot of people got to hear the gospel, a lot of prayers that were answered for people who had invited friends and family who. Uh, showed up. It was just a great morning, and I thank God uh, for that. Hebrews chapter 13, we uh, recently started talking about a practical doctrine that's often poorly understood in our culture. Our culture fails to understand where rightful authority comes from. It fails to understand how leaders ought to use rightful authority, and it also fails to understand how those who follow should respond to rightful authority. And it is certainly true that failing to understand these things is hastening the deterioration of our culture. I do believe some of God's people understand these things. Uh, but we all, whether we like it or not, we are influenced by our culture. And when it comes to the issue of authority, we all have issues because of our fallen nature. We, by nature, hate authority other than our own. And so, uh, practically speaking, uh, though this may not be as exciting as some of the things we talk about this is one of the most helpful things, I think, in our lives if we would uh, take time and apply it. Authority, of course, is the power to command, to enforce laws, to exact obedience, to judge a person or a situation as being right or wrong. And last week we talked about three qualities that are practical helps to all leaders and followers in our relationship with one another. Do you remember them? We talked about us responding to what any leader or follower says or does according to what's in us rather than what they say or do. Uh, we are yielded to the Holy Spirit and we are attempting to have Him control what we say and do rather than any other person. We talked about embracing our roles as a servant, whether we are a leader or a follower, instead of doing whatever we do as a leader or follower for our own gain because Jesus taught us that True greatness is measured in being a servant. And we also talked about how having a deep abiding love for one another as leaders and followers changes everything. And most particularly, it changes things when we're disappointed or someone fails uh, to have genuine love for one another, uh, love for those who lead us, love for those who look to us for leadership. It just changes everything. And tonight, I want to begin... Uh, talking about the leader-follower relationships again, and in particular uh, tonight, uh, the relationship of a follower uh, and their leader. Uh, if you are able to stand, if you would stand tonight and honor the Word of God, this is just simply our fourth part of God's authority uh, in our life. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. If you remember when we talked about that verse last week, the immediate context of this, three different times in the New Testament, that phrase rule over you is used. And in this particular context, in chapter 13 and verse 7, it says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And so, verse 17 especially teaching us about the relationship 
of a spiritual leader with a spiritual follower. Thank you, might be seated. Uh, when we consider what verse 17 teaches about a follower, it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Uh, quite frankly, that doesn't strike a proud follower very well. In fact, to look at the instruction for leaders in verse uh, 17, it says, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. And to consider the fact that as a leader, it is our job to watch, to guard over the souls of those who look to us and to remember that we give an account for how we do that. A proud leader doesn't like that instruction either. Quite frankly, all of us would prefer to work in our own interest. But that is not how God intended the leader-follower relationship to work. In typical fashion, with all four places in the New Testament where it speaks about the leader-follower relationship, in verse 17, it begins by instructing the follower and then instructing the leader. That's not the way you and I would do it. If you and I were God and we're not, thank God, uh, we would first tell leaders how to lead. That's not how God does it. In all four cases, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, uh, God instructs the follower first, and then he instructs the leader. This text also follows the typical pattern of not making the follower's behavior or the leader's behavior contingent upon what the other one does. Remember we talked about that last week. We are to do what we do and say what we say uh, has nothing to do with what some, someone else does. If you lose your cool, speak what's on your mind, it's not someone else's fault. It's your fault. If you mistreat someone, if you disrespect someone, it's not their fault, it's your fault. Uh, you and I will answer to God for what we do, what we do not do, and in typical fashion, like all four of these sections of the New Testament that speak about the leader-follower relationship here, it puts no contingencies on either the follower or the leader. Uh, it's kind of interesting that even though this particular text specifically is linked to spiritual leaders and followers, there's a phrase there that applies to everyone in the role as followers. Did you catch it there? It says, as they that must give an account, says that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. We are supposed to follow those who lead us and submit ourselves in such a manner to make their job a joy, not a grief. It ought to be the great spiritual goal, and it is certainly a demonstration of true humility on our part to follow those who lead us in such a manner. It is our job. Listen, we are either going to make those who lead us, we're either going to make their job a joy, or we're going to make it a grief. We choose how we follow. Will we make their job a grief? Or will we make their job a joy? Listen, listen, leaders are responsible to do their part, whether a follower makes our job a grief or a joy. And quite frankly, a follower is supposed to do their job, whether or not the leader makes their job a joy or grief. In every area where our Creator has delegated authority, it pleases Him for a follower to make the leader's job a joy rather than a grief. Let me ask you a question. If you're here and you're married, do you make your husband's job leading you a grief or a joy? Most men would be afraid to ask that question. 
If you're here and you're a child or you're a teenager, do you make your parents' job leading you a joy or a grief? If you are a ministry worker, do you make your ministry's leader a job, a grief, or a joy? Uh, by the way, if you don't respond to their text, if you're a no-call, no-show, if you do that kind of stuff, you're making their job a grief. As an employee, do you make your parents' job, uh, your boss's job, a grief or a joy? How hard are you to supervise? Listen, there's people everywhere, and quite frankly, they're proud that they're hard to lead. They're proud that their boss has a difficult time dealing with them. Listen, that is the opposite teaching of the New Testament for a follower of Jesus. Do you make law enforcement's job a grief or a joy? I wonder how much different our culture would be if our culture, by and large, understood that it was our job to make our leader's job a joy rather than a grief to lead us. Are you even trying to follow authority God has delegated in such a manner? I hope you're trying. And, and remember, all of these things when it comes to our leader-follower relationships, they're not light switches. Now these are things that as we grow in grace and as we become wiser in life and as we yield our life more and more to the Spirit of God, these are things that we should be building in our life. Which brings up a good question. How do I make the job of a leader whom God has given rightful authority over me, how do I make their job a joy? It's a good question. If you stop and think about it, we talk quite often about how do I follow Jesus. We don't talk very often at all about how do I follow someone who Jesus has made my leader. It's a good question. And so what I want to do, I just want to speak practically tonight, almost as if we were sitting in a room talking across the table, uh, unless my heart gets wound up. I, I, I very carefully plan what I'm going to say. I have no plan for how. Uh, and so very often I go home at night and I put my head down and I think to yourself, man, you did a terrible job communicating that. You didn't communicate it well. And so I, have, uh, I just plan to sit across the table from you and, and just chat. Uh, you say, where do you, where, where do you get these things? Uh, the things I want to talk about tonight on how to make our, those who lead us, uh, how to make their job a joy, frankly, some of them are from the Bible and, and we'll talk about a couple Bible verses, and, and some of them I, I learned by watching people over the years who are great spiritual followers. I, I've been blessed to know some. Uh, some of them I learned by trying to be a good follower myself. Uh, when I was saved, I worked 13 more years as uh, a plastics engineer. I worked for three companies. I had probably 10 or 12 different bosses. Some of them were some of the most inconsistent and unreasonable people I've ever met in my life, and some of them were really good. I had two different pastors. I was a lay person for thir uh, 13, almost 14 years. I was an assistant pastor for uh, eight years, uh, and a pastor now for 17 years. Uh, listen, I I've seen a lot of this done good and bad. Quite frankly, I've seen some people who almost seem to be making it their mission to be hard to supervise. 
Children who just were almost proud that they were a grief to their parents. Wives who were almost proud that their husbands were afraid to correct them or afraid to say anything to them that would be negative. Uh, People who were just proud that they would rebel against everything that was done. Listen, that is so contrary to New Testament Christianity, it's not even funny. And listen, if you and I don't learn these things, we are going to deteriorate just like our culture is pretty much dysfunctional. These things are essential for healthy relationships in our homes. They're essential for healthy relationships in the church. And actually, they're essential for healthy relationships in our culture. How can I make my leader's job a joy? By the way, it's obvious that we should be praying for them. Our prayers make a difference, not just in our attitude. They also make a difference because when God answers our prayers, when we pray for those who lead us, it helps them become a better leader. By the way, I hope you pray for everyone in any circumstance that is either leading you or your children. You should be praying for them by name. Makes a difference. But because the pattern of the New Testament is to first instruct the followers... Uh, and then the leaders, we're going to follow that same pattern. If I had my way and I don't have my way, uh, everybody who listened to this message and how a follower can make their leader's job a joy would be here to listen how a leader ought to use rightful authority. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. Tonight, we're talking about how can I make the job of those who lead me, those with rightful authority over me, how can I make their job a joy? Wouldn't you like to do that? Please first turn back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. It's no surprise when we begin to talk about relationships that we spend a fair amount of time in Proverbs. Proverbs is the book of God's wisdom. By the way, if you're a serious Christian, I hope that you read Proverbs constantly. I would to God that everybody in here not only read the whole Bible through at least once a year, I would to God that everybody here spent extra time reading in Proverbs. Uh, it is the wisdom of God. How can I make my leader's job a joy? Here's number one. Seek out your leader's flaws and weaknesses and seek to cover them. Seek out your leader's weaknesses and flaws and seek to cover and compensate for them. Notice what it says in Proverbs 10, verse 12. It says, hatred stirreth up strife. It says, but love covereth all sin. Look a few chapters up in verse seven, chapter 17, in verse 9. It says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. He that repeateth a matter separateth very, very friends. By the way, this has nothing to do, of course, with covering some willful and presumptuous defiance against God. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything for us to do with us covering our leaders and picking up in areas of their weakness because doing that is the opposite of exposing them to repeat a matter. Listen, we we shouldn't pretend that our leaders uh, have faults or deny that those who lead us uh, sin at times. Uh, Listen, God knew that whoever he gave rightful authority to, he, he knew they'd be less than perfect. He gave it to husbands, even though husbands are less than perfect. He gave it to parents, though parents are less than perfect. He gave it to pastors, though pastors are less than perfect. Listen, God knew that, and and he delegated some of his authority to people in those circumstances. 
Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that there are things that every leader needs to change and improve on. But we can't change them. Only they can change them. And though we can't change our leaders, only they, with the help of God, can change themselves. Listen, we can choose to help them instead of constantly criticizing and exposing them. I hope you understand, when you and I lift and inspire those who lead us, we're lifting ourselves, and we're helping our own future. Whether we like it or not, everything rises and falls on leadership. That is true in a home, that is true in a company, that's true in a church, that's true in a ministry. You name the situation, and everything rises and falls on leadership. And you and I, when we follow leadership, when we lift our leaders, when we help our, when we help our leaders, in the end, we're helping ourselves. Now, you and I live in a culture of criticism and fault-finding. Criticism and fault-finding have never built anything or anyone. And in fact, if you are someone who are extra good and extra frequent at criticism and fault-finding, don't be surprised when your leaders are never effective. Don't be surprised when you don't reach your potential. If you and I want to reach our potential, then it is our job to help those who lead us reach their potential because that raises the level for all of us. When those who lead us do better, those who follow them do better. When those, of us who, when those who lead us do worse, those who follow them do worse. When we hurt them, we in effect tear ourselves down. Listen, every authority other than Jesus has flaws. Young leaders have certain kinds of flaws. Older leaders have a different set of flaws. But hear me when I say this. If that leader is sincerely trying to follow Jesus, they are working on all their flaws. In fact, making our leaders look good and do better, it makes us look good and do better. Did you know, uh, sister, that if you make your husband better, you help yourself? Uh, go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, if you're familiar with Proverbs, the most famous section of it is all in the virtuous woman, and certainly don't have time to uh, study that tonight, but it's very interesting to me in the section on being a virtuous woman it mentions her husband. Notice this virtuous woman's husband in verse 23 of chapter 31. It says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Did you ever wonder why in the section on the virtuous woman it speaks about the success of her husband? See, the people who were the judges, they sat in the gates. The wise people of the land, they sat in the gates. Did you ever wonder why in the section on a virtuous woman, her husband is successful. I'll tell you why. Because a virtuous wife lifts her husband. When a child makes their parent better, it raises their potential and opportunities. When people make a pastor or ministry leader better, it gives people more opportunities and higher potential. When employees make their boss better, it gives workers higher potential and more opportunities. Listen, it is no surprise that when our flesh and our culture teach the exact opposite, that our world is in such a mess. Our world is filled with so much dysfunction and so much mess in relationship because it does not understand this at all. Can I just tell you today, I'm a better man today because of my wife. My wife doesn't sing, my wife doesn't teach, my wife doesn't lead, but I want to tell you what, 
I am standing on her shoulders tonight. I'm a better man today because of our staff. Those men, Joe and Josh and, and Stephen, uh, I cannot tell you how they look and try to compensate for my weaknesses and, and, and flaws. I can't imagine how bad I would be at announcements uh, without Joe and how bad I would be at tech without Josh. I, listen, uh, I'm standing on their shoulders. Some people have never grown wise enough to understand that when they tear their leader down, they tear themselves down. But it's not just that good followers cover and compensate for the flaws of their leader. Here's number two, and go back to chapter 21 of Proverbs. Remember, we talk a lot about how to follow Jesus. We don't talk so much about how a follower of Jesus follows those who lead them. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Here's number two. How do I make my leader's job a joy? Make the gold and never criticize openly those who lead you, especially in public. Proverbs 21, verse 19. Uh, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. <laughs> I hope you're not married to one. I thank God I'm not. Turn up a few pages to chapter 26. By the way, if you're a contentious and angry woman, stop. You're not building yourself up being that way. You're not helping your kids. You're not helping your husband. Just stop. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 21. As coals are to burning fires and wood to fire, as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So if you are a contentious man, strife will follow you wherever you go. By, by the way, the reason there's strife every place you seem to work, you. Look at chapter 27, verse 15. I, I wish people would somehow realize that the common denominator in the relationships problems that they have everywhere they have relationships, the common denominator is them. By, by the way, if you come and just be honest about that, you can fix that and have healthy relationships. Pro Proverbs 27, verse 15. says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. You know how like just a... Uh, rains all day long and just so gloomy and you look out and it's raining you're looking out and it's raining uh it's like a contentious woman just drags you slowly down you get the idea that anyone whether they're a man or a woman if they're constantly critical and constantly uh contentious if you get the idea that that's a bad thing you're getting the right idea Please understand what I'm saying tonight. There's a big difference in public criticism and contention and constructive private feedback to their face. Look at chapter 27 of Proverbs in verse 6. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Hey, listen. To have someone who cares about you, who honestly, face-to-face, tells you something that hurts you, that's way better than having someone who doesn't care about you be affectionate towards you. 
Open criticism of leaders tears down the confidence of the leader and it tears down everyone who follows them. And sadly, if we're honest, much of our criticism is done not knowing the whole story. Almost all of our criticism is done without hearing both sides of a story. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, literally hundreds, when someone has given me their side of their story and I thought, wow, I can't believe they did that. And then I hear the other side of the story and I think, huh, that's way different than what I thought at first. And we all know that, and yet we so easily become critical not knowing the whole story. I'm honestly, I'm shocked and amazed at people willing to believe and repeat things without really knowing the facts. Listen, wise leaders expect and welcome constructive feedback to their face. When we talk in the coming weeks about being an effective leader, understand effective leaders are teachable. But unwise and immature followers have never grown to understand that they do not lift themselves by tearing down those who lead them. You know, one of the things that I find myself doing often is we're very quick to point out our differences even with someone with whom we mostly agree. I catch myself doing it and I smack myself, so to speak, in the face. Someone will ask me about some ministry or some uh, preacher here or there and and they can be 95% like us and I don't know why I feel compelled to point out that 5%. But I do think I know why. It's my fallen nature. And I'm not the only one walking around with one. I couldn't tell you how many times in my life that uh, I let my ears be someone else's garbage can. And it was a situation that I didn't know anything really about or some person I didn't know anything about or some ministry I didn't know anything about. And because I allowed my ears to be filled with criticism and contention, it poisoned my heart. Constant criticism destroys the confidence of even the best and most confident leaders. And when good leaders lack healthy confidence, it greatly hinders what they're willing to try to do. Hey, listen, sister, you are not helping your husband tearing him down. If you take his confidence, sooner or later you are going to lament the fact that your husband doesn't confidently lead your home. You can build his confidence. Listen, men are weak. We're simple. I am one. I can say it. And we are very susceptible to how our wife and the people around us either build us or tear us down. Constant criticism makes great leaders good, good leaders bad, and bad leaders even worse. In fact, it isn't just that constant criticism destroys the confidence of leaders. Constant criticism destroys the confidence of those who follow leaders. I I wish tonight that everyone here could really feel and see the full effect of what your criticism has on other people. I'm talking about a wife constantly criticizing every decision her husband makes. I'm talking about husbands and wives 
criticizing each other in front of their children. I'm talking about one divorced parent criticizing their ex in front of their children and very often exposing them to something that they were not yet ready to learn. I'm talking about children listening to you criticize their pastor, their ministry leader, their school teachers, the police, their bus driver, and everybody else. And what you do subtly is you steal from them something at some point they will need. Hear me when I say to you, there's going to come a time, though you think it's never going to happen with your sweetheart, there's going to come a time when your child will not look to you. And you will be really glad that you had allowed God to bring other rightful authorities in their life to be there for them when they were not open to you being there. By the way, the good news is, is mostly later they come back. Let me ask you, do you ever ask yourself, do my remarks help my leader? Does the person I'm telling this to need to know? And if not, we need to be quiet. Listen, good leaders will get plenty of criticism from Satan and complacent followers. They don't need more from wise and sincere followers of Jesus. But when you think about the fact that our goal should be not to criticize them publicly or just constantly tear them down privately, it does bring up a good question. What should I do when I disagree? I mean, strongly disagree. It's a good question. By the way, uh, of course, um, in addition to praying diligently for them, uh, of course, in addition to asking yourself the honest question, is this a biblical disagreement or is this just something we disagree over but really could be done more than one way? What should I do? Uh, That's a great question. Go back to Proverbs 25. Here's number three. Make suggestions, even express negative concerns privately, but be willing to have them modified or go unheeded. Proverbs 25, verse 9, says, Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. I've got that word himself underlined. Discover not a secret to another. In other words, talk privately to your neighbor instead of going and looking for secrets that they have. See, a good leader considers every recommendation or comment but they only use some of them. If any leader took all the suggestions they received, they wouldn't be the leader. Those making the suggestions would be the leader. If a husband always does what his wife wants, she's leading, not you. If a parent always does what the child wants, the child is leading, not you. If a pastor does what the people or ministry leaders always want, they're leading and not you. If a boss always does what the employees want, the employees are leading and not the boss. Listen, it is very different to always consider suggestions and negative criticism and always do what is suggested. By the way, if you're someone who thinks your leader didn't listen just because they didn't do what you suggested, you understand that you are proud and you're assuming that they didn't listen because they didn't do what you think. Did you hear me? I I say this in this church all the time because I hear it all the time. Uh, I told my husband this, but he didn't do it. Okay. Who's in charge, dear? I I told you this and you didn't do it. Okay. 
So? See, see, because of our pride and because we always think that we know more, we wrongly assume, well, they didn't do what I said. That doesn't mean they didn't listen. See, the opposite of giving our leaders negative feedback privately is just to purposely watch them fail. By the way, I've watched this in the workplace and in the church. And then you say, well, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, that's a Christian attitude. The opposite of giving our leaders private feedback, negative, and it's equally unhealthy for a follower to be enthralled with every idea and a suggestion a leader has. Can can I just tell you, the only leader who's 100% right is Jesus. The only one. A parent is not 100% right, a husband is not 100% right, a pastor is not 100% right, and a boss is not 100% right. Jesus is 100% right. And so, it shouldn't surprise us when we disagree with God. Listen, if you were to take a vote in this room uh, tonight and say, well, let's vote on whether it's a, a fair and good for Brother Ouellette to have cancer on his vocal cords and to be legitimately facing having his vocal cords removed, do you think that's fair and good? Listen, there will be zero hands up. We don't know what God knows. A good leader is never right all the time, but they are likely right in the area of their authority more than we will be. God delegated some of his authority to them in some area of life because that's true. Sometimes the leader knows a bigger picture than we do. Sometimes God told the leader something that he purposely didn't yet tell us who follow. Sometimes the leader knows more about people in a situation than we're supposed to know. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons that no one here is supposed to get your own assistant and no one here is supposed to speak to someone when you're moving on for your replacement without talking to me, one of the reasons is, is you don't know what I'm supposed to know. Listen, here's what everybody thinks. You know, Brother Walla, you ought to tell us all this stuff that's going on. Everybody thinks that till it's you, till it's your kid. And then what we want, we want, hey, you know, we want you to protect that information. That's why we do that. It's my job. I don't tell my wife. I very often don't tell the staff. I very often don't tell the deacons. It is my burden to bear that information. Why do you assume you know everything? Honestly, as a follower, you're going to offer plenty of feedback that's going to go unused. I've done it a lot myself. Doesn't mean it isn't considered. (laughs) I wish, I don't wish this, but in some cases, honestly, I wish you could be in my office when me and the staff have some of our discussions and just honestly speak to each other. A lot of people, you'd just walk away, get in a fetal position in the corner with your thumb in your mouth. Same thing with with our deacon meetings. I want our men to be free to express 
their strong disagreement. I want that. It's good. It's what we're supposed to do. And then, by the grace of God, we're all supposed to walk out of there and do what we're supposed to do. I remember many years ago sitting in my office with uh, a young woman who had, her and her husband had went to Bible college and it worked out really badly and, and she was very angry with her husband. She was very angry at, at God. And uh, I asked her, I said, well, before you left, I said, did you express your concerns to your husband? He said, no. I said, well, this is part your fault. Listen, your husband deserves your honest, negative feedback in private. He will never be all he can be without it. Leaders need it. And instead of gossiping and all this criticism and contention in public, there's something powerful about approaching someone himself. It's how we lead and how we follow, amen? How can I make my leader's job a joy? Here's number four. Deal carefully with your differences. They're going to come. You may not agree with this, but I believe God purposely allows differences to come between leaders and followers. You say, why? Because that's the only way we can know the truth about ourselves. See, one of, one of the things about being a sincere follower of Jesus is you want to know the truth about yourself. You want to know whether you're really proud. You want to know whether you're really humble. You want to, really, you, you want to know whether you're actually submitting to your leader or, or not. You, you want to know. And the only way that is ever exposed is when God allows differences to occur. Now, when that difference occurs and the issue is a biblical one, we ought to follow the Bible regardless of what someone with rightful authority says. I've told you a hundred plus times, listen, don't you dare follow me if I'm not following the Bible. But most of our issues with authority aren't Bible issues. I mean, quite frankly, they're nearly always something that is not a biblical issue, and you could do uh, three, four, five different ways, and it'd all be okay, and we just want our way. So let me give you some practical thoughts for how to disagree. Uh, first, determine if it's actually a biblical disagreement. Determine whose decision this is to make. Most people don't even take this obvious step. How do we disagree? Always remember your role and calling come from God. And so did theirs. How about this? Always remember you're a Christian. Our Christianity doesn't get set aside when we disagree as leaders and followers, and we're going to disagree. Always remember their humanity and yours. Listen, every leader that God has delegated rightful authority to, they have flaws, they have weaknesses, at times they're even going to sin. Every follower. Listen, we have some of the best followers of Jesus, I believe, anywhere in this room. I believe that. But we're still all flawed. And so we're still going to disagree. So remember their humanity and remember the power of honest, private feedback. Hey, hey, listen. I do not view you coming to me and expressing a concern privately. I don't view that as a challenge to my authority. I want you to do that. Now, listen, we, we may walk away and still disagree. 
But, but you know, we need to love one another and love the Lord enough to be able to do that. Amen? See, submissiveness to delegated authority is not tested until we disagree. And that's why God allows it to happen. By the way, that's why God allows things to happen in our life where we don't agree with Him. Because that shows, God, uh, my faith is in you, I don't understand this. That's what happens when we disagree with God. Our faith is on display. God, I don't understand, I still love you, I still trust you, I still follow you. My faithfulness is not for sale because I agree with what you're doing. And by the way, it's not just that our faith for God is like that. Our relationship and trust in our leaders is like that as well. And in our true submission is on test when they do something we, sh- that we don't understand. But it's not just we need to deal carefully with our differences. Because rightful authority, at times God allows to disagree, to test and expose us and them. And lastly tonight, and I know that's your favorite part of this, and I know you, half of you, you have a glazed look at me tonight. So I have a glazed look at you all the time. It's understandable. I know, it's a, it's a long day. I know it's a big deal that you chose to come back. I really, I thank God for you coming back. But when it comes to life and relationships, this kind of stuff, sometimes in the church we don't talk about it enough. We understand how to follow Jesus, but we don't understand how to follow those who are leading us or people. And so this does greatly matter. Which gets to our last thing tonight, number five, you have to let your leader lead. That seems like such a simple concept, but we don't usually grasp it. Can I tell you why I'm in charge of my home? By the way, I am in charge of my home. I don't just say that. I am in charge of my home. Can I tell you why? My wife lets me lead. Hey, listen, God is a perfect leader. And there's all kinds of people that don't let him lead. There's people here tonight. God is a perfect leader and you still won't follow God's leadership. No one actually leads until a follower lets them lead. Uh, When our children were at home, we have three boys, when our children were at home, most of the time, do you know why Sharon and I were in charge? They let us. In case you hadn't realized, you know, your child gets to a certain age and you know really kind of, they don't have to do what you've asked them to do. And if you're in charge, they let you be. Uh, Do you know why I'm in charge here at Bible Baptist Church? You let me? Say, well, Brother Wally, you're a good leader. No, I'm pretty flawed. I I felt bad today for making fun of Joe about that announcement. I know. I could. It almost makes me cry. It really does. He does such a good job, and I, I did. I mocked him this morning. Please understand the greatest thing that we ever give God or a spiritual leader or a parent or a boss 
or a husband is just this thing. You let them lead because God placed them where they are. Makes all the difference in the world. You know, sometimes our problems do come because of legitimate human flaws in our leaders. Every leader has them. But most of our problems are from our own stubbornness, our own lack of humility, our desire to do things our way, our insistence on thinking that we know best and most about everything. As a follower, one of my goals was always this, to sow the seeds of being gracious. You say, why? Because as a leader, what I want is somebody to be gracious with me. What I hope you find whenever you deal with me is I hope you find somebody who's gracious with your faults, with your flaws, the times you're not what you should be. Because what I need is someone who's going to be gracious with my flaws. You and I as followers have so much power to lift or to tear down the people God has placed in our life. Will you decide to be a faithful follower or will you listen to the garbage of our society that tells you you're inferior if you follow, that you're inferior if you submit? Will you just decide, you know what? I believe God, and I believe that I will get farther and go higher building my leaders instead of tearing them down. Amen? You quietly stand.